Welcome to Crossbridge Brickle's weekly podcast. Whether you are listening to us for the first time or revisiting a previously heard message, thank you for listening, and we hope that the time that you spend with us helps connect your life to the way of Jesus. Every week we gather in the south end of downtown Miami in the financial district of Brickle. If you're in Miami or coming to Miami to visit, make sure to join us Sunday nights at 5 o'clock at 1770 Brickle Avenue. Included with the podcast today, we want to provide online notes for you to follow along with the message through the Bible app, as well as our Spotify playlist to listen to our music played during our gathering on the weekends. All of this information is found in the description of this week's podcast. If you have any questions about Crossbridge, Jesus, or faith in general, we would love to hear from you, and the easiest way to connect with us is by emailing us at brickle at crossbridgemiami.com or send us a text to our text-in number at 305 305- Nine three zero seven zero zero six. Once again, thank you for tuning in. And now here's this week's message from Crossbridge Brickle. Mark chapter 15, verses 1 through 20. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out in a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you, by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described it to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. This is the word of the Lord. Will you pray with me? God, we are grateful for this time to gather on an exciting Sunday. Lord, as we celebrate a cultural event in a moment that draws the eyes of the world to it. But Lord, we are grateful that as we prepare to spend time together and to have a fun evening that we're able to begin with worship. We're able to begin by looking at your word and being challenged by the truth that you share with us. And so we pray that as we're in this series focusing on your mission and your message and your people tonight, that we would see what it looks like to focus on change. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, good evening. Okay, guys. We're going to do that again. Good evening. 
There we go. We're, we like to say that we're a two-time church, uh, the, which means when I ask a response in the first time, it's crickets. And the second time, we engage. So thank you for that. Uh, welcome to Super Bowl Sunday. For those of you that are visiting with us, we're glad that you're here. I like to think that there are three types of people that are arriving this evening. The first person is the person that has come to say, I believe in God. I, I want to come to worship and then I want to spend time uh, with my community afterwards. Then there are those that are coming to say, I don't know if I believe in God yet. I I'm still full of doubts. I'm skeptical, but I know that this is a safe place to come and work through that. And we're grateful that you're here. And then there's a the third camp, which is like, do I have to come to the service before the party? Uh, we welcome all people. So regardless of which camp you fall in, uh, we're going to talk about a really light topic tonight, a topic that is very appropriate for Super Bowl Sunday, and that is the devil and demon possession. You think I'm joking. I'm not joking. We're talking about demon possession and the devil tonight. We're in a, a series called Focus One, and we're essentially gathering as a church to say, what would it look like if we actually focused as a church on the mission of Jesus? We took it seriously to go into the world and make disciples of all nations by focusing on his mission, focusing on his message, focusing on a person, and then tonight we'll see focusing on change. When I said the devil and demon possession, you may have thought about the exorcist and terrifying movies that you either watch or you avoid at all costs. Maybe you thought of like a cartoon-looking devil, or if you're a weirdo like me, you thought of Will Ferrell in the SNL skit when he dressed up as the devil, and the man that wanted to become famous said he'd sell his soul to the devil for a song, and out comes Will Ferrell, and he provides this great tune, where he says, this is what's going to get you famous. He says, there's a guy named Fred, and he's got a pair of slacks. Ooh, Fred's got slacks. How many of you know that song? Okay. <laughs> I just, I just dated myself. Some of you that know that, you know it's classic. That's what I think about. You know, it just kind of lightens the mood when you think about the devil and demon possession. Uh, but as we jump into that this evening, I want to provide you some notes that we're kind of walking together into it with an open mind, ready to receive what God's Word says. And so if you had the opportunity to text the word hi to our text number, there's a lot of notes in the beginning uh, that you can look through that can help prepare you. Because I think when we come to this topic of demons and demon possession and the spiritual world that is the, the, the dark side of the spiritual world, and we think about a personal devil. A lot of us say, I believe in God. I'm interested in God. I'm interested in faith. I'm growing in my faith, but I don't know about the whole devil and demon possession. Is that still around? Is that still a thing? Was it ever a thing? I don't know if I really believe in a personal devil. Well, there's a lot of things that we have to kind of tear apart so we can walk into this text this evening ready to receive what Jesus wants to share with us, because we have a lot of maybe preconceived notions. See, the devil and demons aren't uncommon to us. They are in our movies, there are articles, there's TV shows, they're in magazines, just different kind of memes or tropes that have to do with the devil and demons. But to really believe that there is a devil and there is a legion of his demons and a demonic influence in darkness that is looking to distort the image of God in you and pull you away from change and growth and progress and where God wants you to grow is something that's much more difficult to believe. And I just want to ask you to, to think about three things. The first is, if you struggle with believing in a personal devil, you might want to check 
if whether or not that belief of not believing in a personal devil is naive and simplistic. Here's why I say that. See, we believe that everything, this is the message that's preached to us, that everything in our world can be explained through natural causes in the scientific community. It can be explained, natural causes. So we believe that the physical world can be explained by the physical world, but we also know that we're affected by an emotional dimension and also a spiritual dimension. And so to believe that the spiritual dimension has no impact or no influence, no temptation upon the physical world would maybe be simplistic and naive. Also, to not believe in a personal devil would be culturally narrow or elitist. I'm going to put it frank. Western white people, it's easy to not believe in a devil. The rest of the world has no problem believing in the devil or demons or demon possession. You see, we, can be, we believe sometimes that what we think in the West is 100% right and 100% true because we've kind of walked it down with reason and logic and science and we think everything can be explained through natural causes when since the beginning of the world, the human, civili- human civilization has believed in demonic influence and in a devil and a spiritual realm of darkness. And then lastly is if you believe in God, then wouldn't it be inconsistent to not believe that there is also the other side of the coin? That if you believe in a good personal God, that there's also an evil, personal, supernatural being that we call the devil. I ask you this to to kind of maybe open you up to see and receive what God's Word has for us because some of us may tune out because we don't think that that's really affecting us. We don't see it. We haven't experienced something like we read in this text. But the reason it's so important that we walk together open to receive what God's Word says is because if you don't see that there is, in fact, a spiritual realm that is evil and dark and is looking to affect and to influence you, you will not see where true freedom and change resides. And so our passage tonight is a wild story with Jesus and his disciples. And they arrive on the Sea of Galilee and and they're going to encounter this possessed man. But right before this, they're on the other side of the Sea of Galilee and they get in the boat and they head across and they encounter a storm. Now Jesus is sleeping in the boat and this storm comes out of nowhere, this violent storm. And the disciples, who many were expert fishermen, are freaking out because it has come out of nowhere. They don't know how to control it and they think they're going to die. And they look over and they see Jesus sleeping. So they wake Jesus up and they say, listen, do you not care for us? Like, we're going to die. And Jesus stands up and he says, peace, be still. The winds calm and the waters cease to roar. And then he looks at his disciples and he says, why are you so afraid? You of little faith. He says the disciples were fearful. And they're essentially asking themselves the question, who is this? I mean, we've been with Jesus. We've seen him say some very bold things, some very strong things about he is, in fact, the Son of God, the Messiah, who's bringing the kingdom of God to earth. We've seen him heal people, but now, with three words, peace be still, he calmed the storm. He controlled nature, not with natural causes or something that could be explained through science, but something else. And his challenge to us is, why don't 
we have faith. Why do we have little faith? And so they get across the Sea of Galilee, and they're probably processing all of this, and they get out of the boat at a town called Gerizim's. And when they get out, there's some cliffs just in the distance that have some tombs in the bottom. And they look over and they see a man. And this man is shrieking and is screaming. Now, this man is known to the community because he has essentially been abandoned to the tombs. They have, the community has tried to help him. It says that they've, they chained him up to possibly administer medicine to him or to help him not to harm himself and other people. But every time they chained him up, he broke the chains with this uncommon strength. And they, they couldn't wrap their mind around what is wrong with this man. So they essentially abandoned him and outcasted him to the tombs where he resides. Now they know he's there because it says day and night he is crying and yelling and shrieking. And so they get out of the boat, Jesus and the disciples, and they see this man in the distance running towards them, shrieking and screaming. And to top it off, he's bleeding everywhere because he takes stones and he cuts himself all over his body. Can you imagine what the disciples are thinking? We just went through a storm where we thought we were going to die. Jesus just calmed the storm. Now we're wondering what's going on. We get out of the boat and a bleeding man who's screaming is running at us. Like, what is going on here? It's like when it rains, it pours. Now this man is running full speed, bleeding, screaming at Jesus and the disciples. I mean, I'm wondering what they're doing. I think for sure Peter's grabbed an oar. He's got the oar and he's ready. Some of them got stones. They're in a defensive position. And Jesus is standing there and says that the man runs and he falls before Jesus. He looks at Jesus and says this, why do you interfere with me? Why are you bothering me? And then what was maybe most shocking, he says, Jesus, son of the most high God. Now, the disciples know that they've never met this man or else they would have landed somewhere else. They wouldn't have stopped there with the bleeding, screaming man. And yet this man knows Jesus' name and he acknowledges what Jesus has been preaching and proclaiming that he is the son of the most high God. So the first lesson is that even the demons and the devil himself know that they're inferior to Jesus. They recognize his divinity and his power. And so this man falls before, literally bows before the demons, bow before Jesus and said, why are you bothering me? Why are you interfering with what I'm doing here? One who is superior to me. Jesus, son of the most high God. Jesus then says, come out of this man, and there's kind of this this struggle in the conversation, and then Jesus looks at the man and says, what is your name? And all of a sudden, the man looks up at Jesus, I imagine direct eye contact, and says, my name is Legion, for we are many. Okay, guys, this is like literally the definition of the wide-eyed emoji. My name is Legion, for we are many. Like, that's where I'm like, this was great. Uh, Back in the boat, we're going to head out. Jesus, you stay here. Do your peace be still thing. This is terrifying. Legion, we are many. In this moment, as he looks at Jesus and says, we are many, it's very clear what has taken place. This man has been possessed by a multitude of demons that have so twisted who this man is that he doesn't even speak for himself. 
The demons speak for him. It's obvious that he has lost what it means for him to be a human. The image of God in him has been so distorted that he resides in a tomb, shrieking and screaming and cutting himself with rocks, and the demons speak for him. And Jesus looks at this man, and then he says that the demon should be cast out into the pigs up on the cliff. So Jesus cast the pigs out, the demons out into the pigs, and there are 2,000 pigs up on the cliff who all of a sudden start screaming and running and they dive off the cliff and drown. This, guys, this story is wild. You have to ask yourself the question, why would Jesus cast this legion of demons out of this man into the pigs so that they could then run off the cliff and die? 2,000 pigs. You see, the time has not come for Jesus to vanquish Satan and all demonic influence and power. The time has not come where he will crush the head of Satan. And the time has not come where he will one day return and remove evil altogether and make all things new. So the time has not come for him to cast out these demons completely and utterly and finally. And he does not cast them out so that they can then go reside in another human, he cast them into the demons so they could fulfill their intended purpose. They go, the demons go into the pigs, and then the pigs run and jump off the cliff and die. Why? Jesus is teaching a lesson. He wants the disciples, and he wants us to see the purpose of the demonic. The purpose of the demonic is to destroy. It is to distort the image of God in a human so bad that you can barely recognize beauty and dignity and honor and goodness. They seek to destroy. And so when the demons go into the pigs, the pigs are destroyed. They run off the cliff and fulfill their intended purpose, which is to destroy their host. Had almost destroyed this man to the point where he can't speak for himself and he resides in the tomb shrieking. You see, he wants us to not overlook the power of the demonic. To not overlook its effect. But to see the purpose of its temptation and its influence in your life and my life and our friend's life and the life of the city and this world. You see, we struggle with that. You may hear that and you may acknowledge that because you know that you're meant to acknowledge that because you believe in faith in Jesus and you believe the Bible is the Word of God. So the Word of God talks about that. So you say, yes, I believe that, but I don't know if I really believe that. You see, we believe that everything can be explained through natural causes and so we think we can fix everything that's evil. Violence and cruelty and racism and war and narcissism and selfishness. See, our culture believes that we can fix these things if we just find the root cause. What's the root cause? We think, well, maybe it's the way that that person was raised that caused them to act like this. Maybe they're a product of a bad social system. Maybe it's a mental health issue. What is it that happened to this person or this culture or this society Maybe it's a lack of education. What is it that 
affected them so that they have now acted out in an evil way. If we can find the root cause, we can fix the root cause, and then the evil will go away. That's what we believe. That's how we act. That's how we think change comes. Change and progress comes when you find the root cause of the issue, and then you modify it, you affect it, you try to fix it, and then you'll change for the better. There's a book that came out several years ago by a scholar from Colombia. He's a secular liberal, and he wrote a book called The Death of Satan, Andrew Del Banco. He writes this in the beginning of the book. Listen to this. If you have the um, notes, it's located there. It won't be on the screen because it's quite a long quote, but you can understand what he's saying as I read it to us. He says, a gulf has opened in our culture between the visibility of evil and the intellectual resources to cope with it. Then he goes on to say, we have jettisoned in the West the idea of a cosmic evil or transcendent evil or supernatural evil. We do not believe in it. In fact, we don't even like to use the word evil because it implies moral absolutes and value judgments. So we use medical terms. We talk about dysfunction. We talk about pathology. We don't use moral terminology. But as the 20th century has gone on, it has gotten harder and harder to say that the Holocaust and ethnic cleansing and serial killing is just bad psychology are sociological adjustments. Wow. You see, we think that everything can be explained and that we can find the root cause and we can fix it. So 100 years ago, we thought that, that racism was a byproduct of a lack of education. If you just educated a, a society and a civilization, racism would go away. And then we had World War II, which at the time was arguably the most educated and cultured civilization in Germany, in the world. And then we had Marxism. And Marxism believed that all of the oppression and all of the violence that was stemming from a capitalistic economy and government needed to be altered. So what if you put the power then in the hands of the proletariat and the working class? Then you would remove that violence and oppression from the government. Well, the proletariat were just as violent and oppressive, if not more, than capitalist. So Marxism has been thrown away. Nobody heralds that. You see, we think that everything has a root cause, and if we could just diagnose the root cause, we can fix it. But we still have racism today in an educated country. We still have violence and oppression and greed. We have all of these things. And Andrew DeBonco says the problem is we don't have the ability in the West to make sense of the pervasiveness and the depth of evil. But guess what? The Bible doesn't have that problem. We know where evil comes from. It stems from two races of beings, humans and angels, with free will. Angels, in their free will, a host of them chose to rebel against God and to fall away from God. And there was the beginning of this demonic influence, this realm of darkness and evil that Satan oversees as this personal supernatural being looking to affect the world away from God's goodness and righteousness and to darkness and brokenness. 
And then humans follow the same course. We said, you know, we have free will, but you know what we're going to choose? We're going to choose to chart our own course, to chart our own path, to make sense of things for ourselves. God, we don't want to obey you. We want to obey what we think is right. And we've been following that same course since the garden. And we are born in our heart with sin and evil. You don't have to teach evil to humans. We know it. From the core of our being, we know what it means to be evil. We know what it means to sin. And yet, we believe that we can somehow fix it. But Christianity has a different message. You see, Christianity says that there are, in fact, psychological factors and sociological factors that do affect our culture, our world, and us. And these psychological and cultural factors and these social factors, they can expand and they can, uh, they can unsettle this evil that is within the human soul, but they do not create it. It's already there. And it's been there. And we are not only affected by psychological and social factors, we are affected by cosmic factors as well. Cosmic evil, transcendent evil from a realm that is a spiritual dimension that does in fact have influence upon us. But we struggle with believing that. But the Apostle Paul says, no, no, I understand this. He hears of stories like the one that we're reading and he begins to write in a similar fashion so that we would understand what we're actually facing. When we think about change, how do you change if you don't know what you're changing from or what you're being influenced from? The Apostle Paul says this in Ephesians 6.12, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That is what we wrestle against. And the purpose of the demonic influence and this spiritual realm of darkness that is influencing you and me and our city and our world is to distort the image of God in you. And if you don't see that, then you will not see where change and freedom actually resides and what is looking to pull you away. You see, what, what, what this demonic force and this evil is looking to create in you is to strip you of dignity and instead give you shame. It's looking to remove confidence and give you insecurity. To strip you of hope and give you fear. To strip you of a, a, a desire to grow in righteousness and to instead invade you with sin. It's as if Jesus is saying to his disciples and to you and me, do not overlook the effect and the influence of the demonic. See what its purpose is. It wants to destroy and to distort you. And he has this extreme measure to show them through casting into these pigs as they run off the cliff. But if you're like me, much of your life you grew up thinking that the demonic only looks like someone's head spinning around and shooting out green vomit. But see, this is exactly what Satan wants you and me to believe. We either overestimate the power and influence of the devil, or we underestimate it. This is exactly what he wants. The devil's name is Diabolos, which means a liar. 
He wants you to think he's so powerful and you're so afraid and he's going to affect you so mightily and you're just terrified to go to sleep at night. You sleep with a Bible under your pillow because you're afraid of what's going to happen. Or you think he has no effect on you. That happens somewhere else in the world, not here, not with me. Over or under. You see, if you believe in faith in Christ, the devil and demonic influence, spiritual realm of darkness has no power over you. Can influence you, can tempt you, but has no power over you. Jesus shows that here. The demon falls before him and says, Jesus, Son of the Most High God, why are you interfering with me? And Jesus casts him out. You see, you should not overestimate the influence and the power of the demonic, but don't underestimate it either. Don't think that has no effect on you because you live in the West. You live in America. You live in Miami, of course. That happens. That, that, that crazy screech, screaming, bleeding thing, that happens somewhere else. It has no effect on me here. I'll, take, I'll give you an example of what it looks like to either overestimate or underestimate the power and the influence of the demonic. A very common struggle in our society and, and, and real issue is depression. Here's what it looks like to overestimate. My depression is because I have a lack of faith. My depression is because God is trying to teach me a lesson. He's allowing me to be affected by the devil. And it's all spiritual. It's all about faith. It's all spiritual. That's why I'm depressed. That's an overestimation. An underestimation is my depression has nothing to do with my faith has nothing to do with anything spiritual. It's just simply chemical. See, it's, it, it's actually probably both. But we either overestimate or we underestimate. And that's exactly what the devil wants. He wants to lie to you. He wants you to think he's too powerful or he's not powerful at all. So he could work at distorting the image of God in you and tempting you. And I think our biggest issue is that we believe that there's very little influence. And so when we think about change, we think about seeing a difference in our life and the life of the city, we think that it has nothing to do with resisting any type of demonic influence and temptation at all. It's completely on us. You see, we're endeavoring as a church to be focused as one life focused on another for one year to see a difference in the city through the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want to see a difference in our city. We want to see a change in our city. And most of us think that change will come through behavior modification. How are we going to change our city? Modify our behavior. Start working on our behavior. Start doing things right. Start being a better Christian the way that I'm supposed to be living, what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm start reading the Bible more. I'm start praying more. I'm start talking to people in my office more. I'm start focusing on that person more. I'm going to share my faith. I'm going to step out. I'm just going to start modifying my behavior. If I modify my, my behavior, then I can start modifying someone else's behavior so that they can see change in their life. This is exactly what Satan wants you to believe about change. Change is on you. Modify your behavior, change your life rhythms, adjust those bad temptations and those bad habits. As long as you just do that, just discipline, focus, you'll see a difference. You'll change. That is not where freedom and change resides at all. And if you step into that and you think that just modifying your behavior or the behavior of another person will, will create change, you are opening up a door for Satan to twist and give you shame 
when you fail, guilt, when you make a mistake, or when you don't step into a moment that you feel God leading you to, insecurity in how you're living your life as a Christian, wants to distort and work on the, yeah, 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 you're going to see a difference. Just, just work on change. Give yourself some more discipline. It's a great idea. That's not where freedom and change resides at all. Jesus shows that. You see, we believe oftentimes that freedom and change resides in behavior modification, but it resides in Jesus alone. In Jesus alone. You see, there is a purpose of the demonic, and that is to twist the image of God in you, to distort the image of God in you, to give you shame and guilt and insecurity and fear, to make you think that it's all on you, that your, your Christian life and your walk is all on you, your change is all on you, to see a difference and make a difference for God's glory is all on you. He wants you to believe that and see that so you don't see that freedom and change actually resides just in Jesus you see, after this happens, and, and Jesus casts out the demons into the pigs, and they jump off the cliff, the herdsmen go into town and say, hey, you got to come down here. All of our pigs just jumped off a cliff and, and died, and I think that possessed guy is healed. So everybody comes down, and they see what's happening. They see the man is now different. He can talk for himself. There's been radical change and radical transformation through Jesus, and the village says, Jesus, stay here forever. Be with us. Tell us how to change. We want to hear the message that you have. No, everyone, they say, Jesus, get out of here. We don't want anything to do with you. Get in the boat and leave. Because radical transformation in Jesus causes skepticism. It causes people to be defensive. It causes people to be protected. That doesn't make any sense. There's not a natural explanation for how this man was healed. We don't like this situation, so stay away. I had the privilege this morning of going to, to Sunday service down um, at Bayfront Park. Really thankful for Vu Church for hosting that and Kanye. It's a great example, though, of that truth. Kanye has a radical change, radical transformation in his life. What's the response? I don't know about that. Let's see his behavior. How's he going to behave next month, six months, a year from now? How's his behavior going to get modified? Because, you know, real change is in behavior modification. Now, real change is in Jesus, and he's claiming freedom and change in Jesus. We should be celebrating that. Because that's actually where it resides. And we see that because this man says, hey, um, you just healed me. Let me go with you. I don't want to go with these people. And Jesus says, no, 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 you're not coming with me. I'm going to give you a mission. Look at the mission that he gives this man. Verse 19, he says, he did not permit him, but he said to him, go home to your what? What does it say? Let's say it again. Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. Jesus says, no, no, don't come with me. I'm going to give you a mission. Go, share your story. Go to your friends, go to your city, and tell you, tell people what God has done for you, 
and his mercy. It says everyone marveled. They marveled not at his behavior and how he changed and how he had a little bit more discipline. They marveled at his radical story of freedom and change in Jesus that he shared. You see, what it looks like to focus on change in your life and the lives of others is to focus on Jesus. It's to remember your story and then to share your story. To remember your story of what God has done for you. What he's done for you on the cross where he's paid for all of your sin and all of your shame and all of your guilt. He's removed your insecurity. He has given you dignity and value and worth back telling you who you are. You are a son and a daughter of God who is forgiven and loved because of Jesus' death and his resurrection. That's your story. Remember your story and share your story. Share who Jesus is and how he brings freedom and he brings change. It's not about looking to fix someone's behavior. It's about bringing Jesus to someone. The good news of freedom and change in Christ. I love what Psalm 91 says, because this is our story. Listen to this verse. These two verses. Psalm 91 says this. The Lord says, he says this to you, I will rescue those who love me. I will protect those who trust in my name. And when they call on me, I will answer. I will be with them in trouble. I will rescue and honor them. You see, God did not give you a new heart so that it could be twisted in discouragement and shame and cowardice. You are free in Christ. You are changed in Christ so that you can remember your story and focus on Jesus and share Jesus with other people. That's what it means to focus on change, not modifying your behavior, recognizing that there are things that are influencing you to think about yourself before anyone else. But to focus on Jesus. By focusing on Jesus and the story that he's written in your heart and sharing that with people, you will see change. By focusing on Jesus. So as we prepare to close and celebrate tonight, when we leave this evening and and head home and remember that freedom and change is found only in Jesus. That there are all types of things looking to influence us and distort the image of God in us, but Jesus shores that up through his death and his resurrection. Will you pray with me? God, you are so good to us and we don't deserve it. You are patient with us. Lord, when we think that Change is on us. Change in other people is on us. Or remind us that it's it's all about you. That focus comes from you. That change comes from you. That a difference is made by you. We don't just need more discipline. We don't just need to say no to bad habits. We don't just need a different life rhythm. We need to focus on you, God. Your promises, your truth. Would we remember your story? And would we just share your story with people? Share the story of what you've done in our life. God, would you give us a heart to see a difference in our city by just sharing, God, what you have done 
and people will marvel. Not in us, but in you. Or we not be unaware of the things that seek to influence us. Satan and the demonic. But will we know that it has no power over us? Because we are free in Christ. God, we are grateful for that truth. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.